up through 1835 before we got the Doctrine and Covenants. It was the forerunner to the Doctrine and Covenants. And in the Book of Commandments, chapter 4, verse 5, the Lord gives the saints a warning before we even get started. And he says, And thus, if the people of this generation harden not their hearts, I will work a reformation among them. And I will put down all lyings and deceivings and priestcrafts and envyings and strifes and idolatries and sorceries and all manner of iniquities. And I will establish my church like unto the church which was taught by my disciples in the days of old. So already in 1829, the Lord is entreating the saints not to harden their hearts. And the corollary is that we need to offer up a broken heart and contrite spirit. We need to enter into the new covenant in the Book of Mormon. However, in verse 6, And now if this generation do harden their hearts against my word, behold, I will deliver them up unto Satan. For he reigneth and hath much power at this time. For he hath got great hold upon the hearts of the people of this generation, and not far from the iniquities of Sodom and Gomorrah, do they come at this time, and behold, the sword of the justice, of justice hangeth over their heads, and if they persist in the hardness of their hearts, the time cometh that it must fall upon them. Behold, I tell you these things, even as I also told the people of the destruction of Jerusalem, and my word shall be verified at this time as it hath hitherto been verified. So from the very beginning, the Lord counsels the saints that we should not harden our hearts, but offer up our broken hearts and contrite spirits. But if we refuse, then it would be to us, even as it was in the people of Lehi and the prophet Jeremiah's day in Jerusalem. And that we would deliver ourselves up for destruction if we would not repent and return and offer up unto the Lord broken hearts and contrite spirits. Now, in preparation for the restoration of the gospel, and there were three different orders of the gospel restored through Joseph Smith. There was a celestial order, the church of the firstborn, a terrestrial order, of Christ and a telestial order or the church of the lands. So the first of these orders to be restored through Joseph Smith was the terrestrial church of Christ. And in preparation for the restoration of the terrestrial church of Christ, John the Baptist appears to Joseph Smith and restores the first two orders of priesthood. The first two orders of Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical order, which doesn't have the power to bless you to bind heavy burdens and the Aaronic priesthood, which holds the key to the ring of angels. Shortly thereafter, Peter, James, and John appear to Joseph and restore the first order of Melchizedek priesthood or the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. Now, this order of the priesthood is what governs in the terrestrial church of Christ, and it is required for the church of Christ to be established on the earth. If we go to DNC 84, in verse 19, we read, And this greater priesthood 
administereth the gospel and holdeth the key of the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. Or in other words, once the orders of the gospel that had been restored by Christ during his mortal ministry and after his resurrection, once they had fully gone into apostasy, the heavens were closed. And the apostolic order of the Melchizedek priesthood was no longer upon the earth. It no longer was possible for anyone to receive the baptism of fire, Holy Ghost, and baptism into the terrestrial order of the gospel. And therefore, it was impossible for anyone to enter into the of the Lord. And so all humanity looked forward to the restoration of the gospel under Joseph Smith. Now, in verse 19, when it says this greater priesthood, it's referring to the apostolic order of the Melchizedek priesthood. That priesthood which has the power and authority to perform the ordinance of baptism into the terrestrial order versus baptism into the telestial preparatory gospel or dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, uh, for example, that's what Nephi and those who he ordained was performing in Third Nephi 7. Um, and so how it administers the gospel is through these two ordinances, baptism by water and baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. And holdeth the key to the mysteries of the kingdom, even the key of the knowledge of God. So the way that this order of the priesthood holds the key to the mysteries of the kingdom is once a man or woman has received the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, then they have access to the revelation to instruct them about how to part the veil, ascend to the high mountain or high heavenly mountain, just as Moses did in Moses chapter 1 and Nephi in 1 Nephi chapter 11, and enter into the rest of the Lord. And a man must be ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood before he can enter into the rest of the Lord. Now, the key of the knowledge of God, um, which is being talked about, this, this knowledge of God or the power of godliness is the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And verse 20. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. So the power of godliness is manifest through the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Verse 21, and without the ordinance thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. So in essence, what that is saying, when there is not a man upon the earth, who has been ordained and sealed to this order of Melchizedek priesthood, the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. It's not possible 
to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, or enter into the rest of the Lord. Now, after Joseph had been ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood, the at the terrestrial order of the gospel of the church of Christ was again restored to the earth. But almost immediately thereafter, in 1832, again the Lord warns the saints that come under condemnation. And why have we come under condemnation? Because we have rejected the new covenant in the Book of Mormon, which is offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. For the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost is the critical ordinance that we have to receive in this life. It is the way that we become sons and daughters of Christ. For when we receive it, Christ is literally pleading our case with the Father. And Once Christ gains permission from the Father, he adopts us as his sons and his daughters, and thereby he extends his name to us. And finally, we are not only able to, that we're willing to take on us the name of Christ, but we are actually able to take upon us the name of Christ because finally he extends it to us as he becomes our father, and we become his sons and daughters. So in DNC 84, verse 54, and your minds in past times have been darkened because you have, because of unbelief and because you have treated lightly the things that you have received, which vanity and unbelief have brought the whole church under condemnation. And this condemnation resteth upon the children of Zion, even all. And they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant in the Book of Mormon. And there was actually a print, there was a scribal error in the recording of this revelation. And it currently reads the new covenant, even the Book of Mormon, but the revelation that Joseph Smith received was the new covenant in the Book of Mormon. So the Book of Mormon is not the new covenant. But we do find the new covenant in the Book of Mormon, specifically in 3 Nephi chapter 9. And if we go to 3 Nephi chapter 9, and in verse 20, we are given our part of the new covenant. And ye shall offer for a sacrifice unto me a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And then we have God's part of the new covenant. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. So going back to DNC 4. The early saints had or were in the process of rejecting the very covenant whereby they might become the sons and daughters of Christ. They rejected the very covenant which is at the heart and the essence of the terrestrial order of the gospel, even the church of Christ. And in DNC DNC 84 goes on to say in verse 58, that they may bring forth fruit meat for their father's kingdom. What does it mean to bring forth 
for the Father's kingdom? Well, in all of the parables that Christ gives us of the vineyard and fruit and the Lord of the vineyard laying up fruit unto himself, it is those who enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and thereby take Christ's name upon them. This is what it means for Christ to be able to lay up fruit unto himself. And again, since we've rejected that covenant, we can bring forth fruit meat for our Father's kingdom. And then verse 58 continues, Otherwise there remaineth a scourge and a judgment to be poured out upon the children of Zion. So, If we don't repent and return, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse than condemnation. A scourge and a judgment or a covenant curse is going to be poured out upon the members of the church of Christ. Verse 59, for shall the children of the kingdom pollute my holy land? Verily I say unto you, nay. Now, If we turn back a page in DNC 84 and we read verses 23 through 26, we get a foreshadowing of what happened to the children of Israel um, will also happen to the saints. And remember back when in the book of commandments, chapter four, verses five and six, we read that In those days, it was as in the days of Lehi and Jeremiah in Jerusalem, and that the same faint would befall God's people um, if we followed the same course. And also, parallel to that situation, were the children of Israel under Moses. Now, verse 23 in DNC 84. Now, this Moses plainly taught to the children of Israel in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. How did Moses seek to sanctify his that they might behold the face of God? Which actually means to enter into his rest, which rest is the fullness of his glory. The same way as in every age of man, the same way as in every new dispensation, it's offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, take Christ's name upon us, and be prepared to enter into the rest of the Lord. Verse 24, But they hardened their hearts and could not endure his presence. Therefore, the Lord in his wrath for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory. So we get added clarity. What is meant by behold the face of God in verse 23? Beholding the face of God in this context is entering into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of of Christ's glory. Now, we have an example of Moses entering into the rest of the Lord in Moses chapter 1. And in Moses chapter 1, verse 1, 
The words of God which he spake unto Moses at a time was caught up to an exceedingly high mountain. And he saw God face to face, and he talked with him. And the glory of God was upon Moses, therefore Moses could endure his presence. So this mountain that Moses was caught up to was not an earthly mountain. This was the heavenly mountain. That place in the heavens where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory, also called by Enoch and Isaiah, the seventh heaven. Moses wasn't just seeing into the heavens, and you know Christ was not coming down and visiting Moses upon the earth. Moses actually went up into the seventh heaven and came into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And he talked with Christ face to face. And the glory of God was upon us. Therefore, Moses could endure his presence. So to be able to enter into the rest of the Lord, things are required. First, the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Number two, directly before entering into the rest of the Lord, one must receive a brand new baptism of fire because no unclean thing can enter into God's presence in the fullness of his glory and remain alive. So Moses not only had already received his baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, but immediately preceding this account, he received a brand new baptism of fire. Then the glory of God being upon him, he was transfigured and therefore he was able to enter into the seventh heaven. Now in verse nine, the presence of God withdrew from Moses that his glory was not upon Moses and Moses was left unto himself. And as he was left unto himself, he fell unto the earth. So once transfiguration ends, one cannot stay in Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And so as soon as the transfiguration ended, Moses fell back to the earth. The question is, what aspect of Moses fell back to the earth? Well, it's answered in verse 11. But in verse 10, and it came to pass that it was for the space of many hours before Moses did receive his natural strength like unto man. And he said unto himself, now for this cause, I know that man is nothing, which thing I never had supposed. So when Moses finally came into God's presence in the fullness of his glory, he realized as never before that awful gulf that separated him from Christ. And he realized, as never, as never before, how desperately Christ and the that Christ would make. And it caused him to reflect that he was nothing in comparison, which thing he never had supposed. And verse 11, but now mine own eyes have beheld God, but not my natural, but my spiritual eyes. For my natural eyes could not have beheld, for I should have withered and died in his presence. But his glory was upon me, and I beheld his face, for I was transfigured before him. So in other words, we can't take our physical bodies into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory until we're translated. But before we're translated, after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, once we receive all the instructions, 
then about what we must do to part the veil and enter into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And we obey all of those commandments and we receive all the experiences that we need. Then are we able to part the veil and ascend to that high mountain just as Moses did, just as Nephi did, and just as Joseph Smith did. In fact, in DNC 84, verses 23 through 26, Moses' name and Joseph Smith's name are interchangeable. And so are the early saints with the children of Israel. So if we read it that way, starting in verse 23 in DNC 84, now this Moses slash Joseph Smith plainly taught to the children of Israel slash early saints in the wilderness and sought diligently to sanctify his people that they might behold the face of God. And we know that beholding the face of God in this context means to enter into the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory. So Joseph Smith's main mission during his 14-year ministry and he states exactly this at the end of the King Follett Discord. has been to sanctify the early saints precisely as he sanctified through the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that they might also receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost as he received it, and enter into the rest of the Lord. Verse 24, but they, the children of Israel and the early saints under Joseph, hardened their hearts, and could not endure his presence. Therefore the Lord in his wrath, for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest, while in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory. Therefore he took Moses out of their midst, and the holy priesthood also. And the lesser priesthood continued, which priesthood holdeth the key of the ministering of angels and the preparatory gospel. So both to the children of Israel under Moses and to the early saints under Joseph Smith. The Lord removed the Melchizedek priesthood from them, and they were demoted from the fullness of the gospel or church of Christ to the preparatory gospel or dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, which operates under the Aaronic priesthood and is no longer able to perform the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, or the ordinance of baptism of terrestrial order, but only the ordinance of baptism by water into the telestial preparatory gospel. Now, it is important to note that Joseph Smith was not in apostasy. Joseph Smith was not the one who rejected the new covenant. It was the Latter-day Saints. And there were a handful who were with Smith in what is called the Holy Order. Now, the Holy Order is the celestial order of the gospel. And it was restored to the earth on June 4th, 1831 at the Isaac Morley Farm, where Joseph Smith and several other men were ordained to the second order of Melchizedek priesthood. Order of Melchizedek Priesthood. And Joseph Smith and these men were then part of not only the Church of Christ, but also the Church of the Firstborn. And they were known as the Holy Order. And those who not apostatized from Christ, who were members of the Holy Order, 
nothing was taken from them. And so, you know, we do have a handful who are true and faithful to God and did not come under this condemnation and did not come under the covenant curse or would not come under the covenant curse that was coming. Verse 25, therefore he took Moses slash Joseph Smith out of their midst and the holy priesthood also. Now, were Joseph Smith and Moses immediately taken out of the midst of the children of Israel and the early saints? No, not immediately, but after they exhausted all of their opportunities to repent and return and receive back the terrestrial order, then the Lord took Joseph and Moses out of their midst. Verse 26, And the lesser priesthood continued, which priesthood holdeth the key of the ministering of angels and the preparatory gospel. Now, this preparatory gospel is presided over by Abraham, and it's also called dispensation of the gospel of Abraham. And it was 1834 when Christ took his name out of the church, and we were demoted from the terrestrial gospel, the church of Christ, to the telestial order of the gospel the Church of the Latter-day Saints. And if you look at the inscription on the Kirtland Temple, you'll see Holiness to the Lord, Church of the Latter-day Saints. If you look at the 1835 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants, again, you'll see Church of the Latter-day Saints. If you look at the preamble lectures on faith, again, you see Church of the Latter-day Saints. Um, None of the canons of Scripture during Joseph Smith's lifetime Uh, bore the name of the church with Christ's name in it um, after 1834. Now, to understand the significance of what it means when Christ takes his name out of the church, let's go to 3 Nephi 27. And in 3 Nephi 27, in verses 7 and 8, Therefore, whatsoever ye shall do, ye shall do it in my name. Therefore, ye shall call the church in my name. And ye shall call upon the Father in my name, that he will bless the church for my sake. And how be it my church, save it be called in my name. So Christ removing his name from the church was a shot across the bow. It was to get, one of the things it was intended to do was to get the attention of the Latter-day Saints. To try and wake them up out of their deep slumber. That they might awaken and repent and return. Because they no longer were members of Christ's church. Continuing in verse 7, And ye shall call upon the Father in my name, that he will bless the church for my sake. Verse 
For if a church be called in Moses' name, then it be Moses' church. Or if it be called of a man, then it be the church of a man. But if it be called by my name, then it is my church, if it so be that they are built upon my gospel. So we get two requirements for Christ. One, it has to be called in his name. And two, it has to be based upon and teach his gospel. Um, and implicit in that, do so by the proper authority, which is the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, which Christ restored to the apostles or to the 12 disciples, including Nephi in 3rd Nephi 11, and sealed upon them in 3rd Nephi chapter 18. In DNC 110, after the dedication of the Kirtland Temple, um, and this is in 1836, Elias appears to Joseph Smith in the Kirtland Temple and restores the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham. So verse 12 After this, Elias appeared and committed the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, saying that in us and all our seed, and our seed, all generations after us should be blessed. Now, you know, we often think that what was initially uh, restored by Joseph Smith was the dispensation of the fullness of times. Well, the opportunity of the saints. This is what happened um, during Joseph Smith's first ministry? You know, he presided over the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham. The, the dispensation of the fullness of time would not occur until after Joseph Smith would return to finish the restoration, just as prophesied in DNC 101 throughout Isaiah and in these Isaiah chapters in the Book of Mormon, including 1 Nephi 20 and 21 and 3 Nephi chapters 20 through 24. Now, Christ prophesied to the Nephites that after the restoration of the fullness of his gospel to the Gentiles or the members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that it would be rejected by them and that the fullness would be taken from them. If we read in 3 Nephi 16.10, And thus commandeth the Father that I should say unto you, Now, on the authoritative scale of statements, it does not get any more authoritative than Christ declaring that the Father has commanded him to declare, and then whatever comes next is at the very top level of the authoritative scale. And thus commandeth the Father that I should say unto you at that day when the Gentiles, or at this time the members of the church of Christ, shall sin against my gospel. And how have we sinned? against Christ's gospel? Well, we got a warning in the commandments, chapter 4, and in DNC 89, 
um, that we had rejected the new covenant in the Book of Mormon, even that of a broken heart and contrite spirit. After we have rejected the fullness of my gospel and the fullness of Christ's gospel was only on the earth for uh, a very short number of years, 1829 to 1834. So Christ is talking about a very specific period in church history. And there aren't any other candidates. There haven't been any other restorations of the gospel in the last days, at that day when the Gentiles or members of the church of Christ under Joseph Smith should sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel and shall be lifted up in the pride of their hearts above all nations and above all the people of the whole earth and shall be filled with all manner of lyings and of deceits and of mischiefs and all manner of hypocrisy and murders and whoredoms and of secret abominations. And if they shall do all those things and shall reject the fullness of my gospel, behold, saith the Father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. Now, it is interesting to note that part of the fulfillment of bringing the fullness of the gospel from among them was not only that we would be demoted from the terrestrial church of Christ to the telestial dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, but also that the fullness of the gospel in the form of the scriptures of the restoration would then be taken over to lost and scattered tribes of Israel and that their gathering would commence. And we get greater insight into this in the parable of the redemption of Zion in DNC 101. But, you know, after we had been demoted from the terrestrial church of Christ to the telestial church of the Latter-day Saints, uh, Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer had been given the charge to call 12 men to the church office of apostle. And, they fulfilled their charge in 1835 and called 12 men to the church office of apostle in the preparatory order of the gospel. And to those men, Oliver Cowdery gave the apostolic charge. that They had come this far based on other men's testimonies. Whose testimonies? Well, those men who had had experiences with Christ. Those men that the Lord called my apostles and my friends, the first labors in the last kingdom in DNC 88, and my servants in DNC 101. They had come this far based on other men's testimonies. Now they must part the veil, see the face of God, because, you know, these 12 had not done that and be ordained by Christ. And so after they had been called, the apostolic charge had been given, uh, the 12 were sent on missions to Europe, and they you know, assisted in the fulfillment of the prophecy that after they and after we would reject the fullness of the gospel, that the fullness of the gospel would proceed from us to scattered Israel. And, you know, this happened as the 12 went on missions and they took the fullness of the gospel in the scriptures of the restoration to scattered Israel, which had, you know, been deposited in Europe. 
But we get a caveat. And, you know, this caveat is unto both the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the time of Joseph Smith and in our day. But if the Gentiles or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints will repent and return, and the Lord throughout the Book of Mormon tells us exactly how we are to repent and return, and that is that we're to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that we might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of because one of the things that happens when we do receive that ordinance is that the Gentile blood is burned out of us and we become blood Israel. We become the sons and daughters of Christ. We have that physical change necessary that takes place in us so that at a future time we're able to come into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory and not die. And then what does it say at the end of verse 13? That if the Gentiles will repent and return, unto me saith the Father, behold, they shall be numbered among my people, O house of Israel. And that is one of the things that happens at the time of the baptism of fire and baptism of the Holy Ghost. If we go to DNC 109. DNC 109 is the Kirtland Temple dedicatory prayer. And there are major sections of the Kirtland Temple dedicatory prayer that are about this theme of repenting and returning that Christ might be able to place his name back upon the saints, which name he had removed in 1834. So, in verse 21 of DNC 109, And when thy people transgress any of them, they may speedily repent and return unto thee, and find favor in thy sight, and be restored to blessings which thou hast ordained to be poured out upon those who shall reverence thee in thy house. So it was Joseph Smith's hope that the saints, now having the completion of the Kirtland Temple, would repent and return. And thus doing, that they would again receive the apostolic order of the priesthood. They would again have the ability to seek after and receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and entering into the rest of the Lord. And he makes clear reference that we had transgressed, and that, and he would that we would speedily repent after our transgression, that we might find favor again in Christ's eyes. And that our blessings might be restored. You don't have to restore something that you haven't once had or which has been lost. Um, Joseph Smith is seeking specifically for the restoration of the Church of Christ and the apostolic or the Melchizedek priesthood back upon the saints. In verse 26, that no combination of wickedness shall have power to rise up and 
prevail over thy people upon whom thy name shall be put in this house. Again, um, we have the hope that the saints would repent and return, that Christ might put his name again upon the people, that they might have the terrestrial order of the gospel restored to them. And actually, as we go through this section in detail, what we find out is that it actually refers to what will happen in Joseph Smith's second ministry as opposed to his first. He hoped that the saints would qualify and do what was necessary, that his pleadings and these blessings might be poured out upon him in his first ministry. But as it turns out, the dedication of the Kirtland Temple had everything to do with what will take place in the Kirtland Temple in the times that are coming that will lead up to Christ coming in his glory. And those ordinances and those proceedings will be presided over by Joseph Smith in his second ministry. Now, again, if we go to verse 79 in DNC 109, and also this church, to put upon it thy name. Well, the only reason Joseph Smith had to plead that Christ would put upon it his name is because he had removed it. And at this time, the official name of the church was the Church of the Latter-day Saints. And we had been demoted, just like the children of Israel under Moses, to the preparatory gospel or dispensation of the gospel of Abraham. Now, the Lord kept giving the saints chance after chance after chance to repent and return and receive back everything that had been taken from them, even the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of Christ's priesthood. But the very last time was in Nauvoo. And the Lord told the saints that if we would repent and return, we would receive back again the Melchizedek priesthood, the terrestrial order of the gospel, that the Lord would fight our battles, and that we would not be driven out of Nauvoo. Um, and conversely, if we would not, that we would proceed from condemnation to condemnation and from covenant curse to greater covenant curse. In DNC 124, verse 28. For there is not a place found on earth that he may come to and restore again that which has been lost unto you or which he hath taken away, even the fullness of the priesthood. So the fullness of the priesthood goes with the fullness of the gospel, even the terrestrial order or church of Christ. Now, it's important to note, again, that Melchizedek priesthood is not taken away from Joseph or you know, a handful of other men who had not apostatized from the holy order. But from the 99 point, um, whatever percent it is of the membership of the church, it had been taken. And for it to be restored, the Lord required that a temple be built and be upon the earth. And while that temple um, was being built, that the saints would repent and return. Had the saints repented and returned um, after the dedication of Kirtland Temple, 
the priesthood would have been restored to them then. And so would the fullness of the gospel, but they would not. And so the Lord gives the saints one last. And if the saints will repent and return, he will allow them to finish the Nauvoo temple in the time that he has appointed for its completion. But if not, we would proceed from condemnation and covenant curse to a greater covenant curse of being rejected as a church with our dead. Verse 29, for a baptismal font there is not upon the earth that they, my saints, may be baptized for those who are dead. For this ordinance belongeth to my house and acceptable unto me only in the days of your poverty, wherein you are not able to build a house unto me. But I command you, all my saints, to build a house unto me, and I grant unto you a sufficient time to house unto me. And during this time, your baptisms shall be acceptable unto me. So even though the Nabu Temple was never finished, although it was dedicated seven different after the death of Joseph Smith. Um, the Nauvoo Temple was only the symbol. It wasn't about the Nauvoo. You know, there's often criticism, well, the saints had plenty of time to build um, the Nauvoo house, um, their own home, businesses, uh, even the Masonic Temple but they didn't devote sufficient time to finishing the Nauvoo Temple about that. Because if they didn't repent and return, no power on earth or under heaven could have allowed them to finish the Nauvoo Temple before the death of Joseph, which was the amount of time that was allotted to them. (laughs) And at the expiration of this allotted time, time that is when he would take joseph smith from their midst as he took moses from the midst of the children of israel once they had exhausted all of their chances to repent and to return verse 32 but behold at the end of this appointment your baptisms for your dead shall not be acceptable unto me and if you do not these things at the end of the appointment ye shall be rejected as a church with your dead thus saith the lord your God. For verily I see unto you that after you've had a sufficient time to build a house unto me, wherein the ordinances of baptism for the dead belongeth, and for which the same was instituted before the foundation of the world, your baptisms for your dead cannot be acceptable unto me. And just for an additional note in verse 45, the promise that God would fight their battles and that they would not be driven out of Nauvoo if they would repent and return. And if my people will hearken unto my voice and to the voice of my servants whom I have appointed to lead my people, behold, verily I say unto you, they shall not be moved out of their place. Well, although there were seven different dedications carried out on the Nauvoo temple, the first being upon the attic, the next five being on various portions of the temple, and the final being on the whole temple, it still had not yet been completed. However, it was a moot point because at the death of Joseph Smith, we were demoted from the telestial preparatory gospel or dispensation of the gospel of Abraham to the rejected as a church with our dead status. Um, And so instead of fighting our battles and being preserved in Nauvoo, we were smitten 
and we were driven. Now, all of this is going exactly according to prophecy. And if we turn to <coughs> DNC 101, we'll read that all of this was prophesied years before it happened. And even though we stood in a condition of rejected as a church with our dead, still the Lord called that institution my house. Still, he would gather his people into his house so that they would have access to the scriptures of the restoration, which contain the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of Christ and the roadmap about how to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite, receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and enter into the rest of the Lord. And also that they might have access to the Aaronic priesthood and thereby receive a valid baptism into the preparatory gospel and be able to take um, a true sacrament and that the authority of the Aaronic priesthood might be passed forward so that those men who were true and faithful unto obtaining this priesthood and doing what was required to have it sealed upon them might begin experiencing the ministry of angels. Um, You know, but as in all prior dispensations, when Joseph and the handful who uh, were part of the holy order with him, who you know had not apostatized um, when they were no more, when they had died, and there was not a man upon the earth who had been ordained and sealed to the apostolic order of the Melchizedek priesthood. The heavens were closed, and the opening of the heavens would await a new dispensation. And as we're going to read in DNC 101, that new dispensation would be the dispensation of the fullness of times. When Joseph Smith would again return, when he would awaken and arise, again receive the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood and have it sealed upon him, and thus begin dispensation and finish the work of the restoration, then those who the Lord calls the strength of my house among the Latter-day Saints, or those among the Latter-day Saints who, of their own free will and choice, enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, and would actively seek after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, might be gathered out, that they might be separated from the Latter-day Saints who would harden their hearts, and who would not enter into the covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. Um, That after the separation and those who would not enter in, the Lord refers to as the tares and they would be destroyed. And this is what is meant as we read elsewhere in the Doctrine and Covenants, that the cleansing would begin in the Lord's own house and that the strength of the Lord's house who are gathered out would go on an end-time exodus, which we read about in DNC 103, the continuation and commentary of the parable of redemption of Zion in DNC 101. So, 
starting in verse 43 in DNC 101. So first take note of the name, the parable of the redemption of Zion. The whole point of this parable is to tell us how Zion was established, how it would fall, and thus stand in a condition where it would need to be redeemed. And now I will show unto you in verse 43, a parable that you may know my will concerning the redemption of Zion. So you don't have to redeem something that hasn't fallen or been ransomed. So the whole reason that Zion would need to be redeemed in the last days or the days right before the coming of Jesus Christ is because it had fallen. A certain nobleman, and in this parable, the nobleman represents the Lord, had a spot of land very choice, or North America, the promised land. And he said unto his servants, chief among whom is Joseph Smith, and those who the Lord calls the first labors in the last kingdom in DNC 88, and uh, throughout the Doctrine and Covenants, he also calls them my apostles and my friends. Um, you know, they are they who were ordained <coughs> with Joseph Smith to the Second Order of Melchizedek Priesthood on June 4th, 1831 at the Isaac Morley Farm. And, you know, comprised with Joseph the Holy Order, uh, which by and large did not consist of uh, that group of 12 men who were called in 1835 as apostles in the Church of the Latter-day Saints. And he said unto his servants, Go ye unto my vineyard. And so upon the choice piece of land, upon North America, there was a location that was designated for the planting of a vineyard or the rest or the establishment of Zion through Joseph Smith. Even upon this very choice piece of land and plant 12 olive trees. And we know from other of Joseph Smith's sermons that the 12 olive trees represented the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, you know, cross-referencing back to the scripture we read in 3 Nephi 16.10, that after we would reject the fullness the fullness would be taken to the house of Israel and that that gathering would begin. Verse 45, and set watchmen round about. So these watchmen are different from the servants. Now we could call the watchmen, um, the 12 who were called in 1835, the stake presidents, um, the 70 and the high council, all of them and all of the church members were going to find out were to actually build their own tower and to set watchmen round about and build a tower. Well, what do you think the tower represents? If you start on the bottom floor of a tower and you go to the top, what are you doing? You're ascending. Building the tower represents ascension. It is, in fact, the effect 
of the hedge. The hedge is entering into the new and everlasting covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. As a result of building the hedge or the new and everlasting covenant, one begins the path of ascension, i.e., receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and being instructed about how to part the veil and enter into the rest of the Lord. This is building the tower. Continuing in 45, and build a tower, that one may overlook the land round about to be a watchman upon the tower, that mine olive trees may not be broken down. Okay, the olive trees, the 12 tribes of Israel, or the members of the Church of Christ, the Church of the Latter-day Saints. For the enemy shall come to spoil and take upon themselves the fruit of my vineyard. So implicit in the end of verse 45 is that in the future, after the restoration has commenced, that the enemy would come and that the enemy would seek to spoil and take upon themselves the fruit of my vineyard, or to try and derail the saints from entering into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit and receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that they might become the sons and daughters of Christ. Exactly what is referred to in the the book of commandments, as we read in chapter 4, and in DNC 84, when the church came under condemnation in 1832. So this condemnation, it didn't need to happen if the saints had been true and faithful. Verse 46. Now the servants of the noblemen went and did as their Lord commanded them, and planted the olive trees and built a hedge round about, and set watchmen and began to build a tower. So the servants were true and faithful in the commencement of their missions. Verse 47, And while they were yet laying the foundation thereof, they began to say among themselves, And what need hath my Lord of this tower? And consulted for a long time, saying among themselves, What need hath my Lord of this tower, seeing that this is a time of peace? So we're seeing spiritual laziness creep in to those who should be servants and watchmen. And not only leadership, but also general membership. For Joseph Smith, you know, summed up this problem when he spoke to the Relief Society before his death which uh, his exact words are recorded in the Joseph Smith Papers Project. But to paraphrase, he said to the Relief Society, your minds in times past have been darkened because you have relied too much upon me and have neglected your own relationship with Christ. Now, their problem wasn't that they listened to the prophetic counsel of a true prophet. They were supposed to. And they were supposed to heed all of the words that he spoke by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. But Joseph Smith didn't seek to point the early saints to him. He sought to point them to Jesus Christ. He sought to get them to build their own tower. 
to enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, exactly as he had done, that they might enter into the rest of the Lord exactly as he had done. But this requires an investment of time and effort and struggle. And the saints were not willing to invest their time and effort and struggle. They became spiritually lazy. Even though they had hard and difficult lives, they didn't invest the effort where it was most required of them. The new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. And so their minds were darkened. And in the next verse, we're going to see that not only did we have a strata of members and leaders who became spiritually lazy, but we also had a strata who became wicked. Verse 49. Might not this money... Now, money in the parable of redemption of Zion means the same thing that money means today. It's a store of time and effort. Might not our time and effort be given to the exchangers? Think of the money changers whose tables that Christ overturned in the temple. Or in other words, Babylon. Might not our time and effort and attention be given to Babylon? For there is no need of these things. And while they were yet at variance one with another, they became very slothful, and they hearkened not unto the commandments of their Lord. And the enemy came by night and broke down the hedge, and the servants of the noblemen arose and were affrighted, and fled, and destroyed their works, and broke down the olive trees. So just as the Lord warned back in at the end of verse 45 that the hedge was required, and so was the tower and the watchman that the enemy may not prevail against the saints. The enemy did, in fact, come and did prevail against the saints. And so the enemy came by night or by subterfuge and broke down the hedge. What does that mean, that the enemy broke down the hedge? Well, what is the hedge? The hedge is the new covenant in the Book of Mormon, offering up a broken heart and contrite spirit. Well. There were contemporaries in leadership with Joseph Smith who sought to supplant the covenant of the Lord, the very basis of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a broken heart and contrite spirit, with their own will. And so... Those who came after Joseph Smith replaced the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, the path to receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost with plural marriage, which plural marriage is not the new and everlasting covenant. The new and everlasting covenant has been with us since the days of Adam, and it never changes. And this is how the enemy came in and broke down the hedge. Now, there are other ways other than replacing the new and everlasting covenant after the death of Joseph with something that wasn't the new covenant. Also, um, 
during the days of Joseph Smith before his martyrdom, you know, the enemy came by night and hardened the and hardened the hearts of the saints, that they would not enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, and the fullness of the gospel was taken from them. And until the fullness of the gospel was restored, which was their opportunity, they could not receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. Although there were a few caveats, a few exceptions. And these baptisms of fire, baptisms of the Holy Ghost, after uh, 1834, were performed by Joseph Smith and a few other men in the Holy Order who were still ordained and sealed unto the Melchizedek Order of the Melchizedek, or the Apostolic Order of the Melchizedek Priesthood. But after they were gone, uh, this ordinance was not performed. So the enemy came by night and broke down the hedge. And the servants of the noblemen arose and were affrighted and fled. And the enemy destroyed their works and broke down the olive trees. So this has reference to a couple of things. One, the watchmen. The watchmen didn't build their own towers. And most of the original servants were, didn't continue to be true and faithful enough. In fact, most of the servants, um, even those who would return with Joseph Smith, were actually prodigal sons. And while they started on the true path and were you know, faithful to the Lord, they wavered. And they fell for a period of time before repenting and returning and thus qualifying to return right before Christ coming in his glory with Joseph Smith. Verse 52. Now behold, the nobleman, the Lord of the vineyard, called upon his servants and said unto them, Why? What is the cause of this great evil? Ought ye not to have done even as I commanded you? And after ye had planted the vineyard and built the hedge round about and set watchmen upon the walls thereof, built the tower also and set a watchman upon the tower and watched for my vineyard and not have fallen asleep, lest the enemy should come upon you. And behold, the watchman upon the tower would have seen the enemy while he was yet afar off. Then ye could have made ready and kept the enemy from breaking down the hedge thereof and saved my vineyard. And in verse 55 of DNC 101, And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, So, in DNC 103, we're going to find out that the Lord names specifically who this servant is. And this servant is Joseph Smith Jr. Not in his first ministry, but in his second ministry. Go and gather together the residue of my servants. Well, to the residue of the servants for two reasons. One, it's the exact same servants that the Lord addressed in verse 44 that were with Joseph Smith in his first ministry that laid the foundation of Zion. Um, and it's also called residue because not all of them make it back. 
So those who do make it back, those who were either remain true and faithful or who were prodigal sons and repented and returned and again qualified to resume their ministry as servants with Joseph Smith Jr., they all return with Joseph Smith. Go and gather together the residue of my servants. So the first thing that Joseph does when he returns is he gathers the residue of the servants. And then, and take all the strength of my house, which are my warriors, my young men, they that are of middle aged also among all my servants who are the strength of my house, save those only whom I have appointed to tarry. So, Joseph, after he gathers the servants, he actually starts translating the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon, the record of the 12 apostles, the brass plates, finishing his translation of the New Testament, and other records of Scripture. And as Isaiah terms it, he remains hidden in the quiver of the Lord as his polished shaft. And he comes forth uh, on the eve of destruction after the, as Isaiah uses the metaphors, the king of Isaiah, king of Babylon, comes prominently on the scene and begins the work of the destruction of about 90% of the earth's population. After the king of Babylon, king of Assyria, comes on the scene, then Joseph Smith returns on the scene in public. He's already been working on the scenes or he's already been working behind the scenes to gather the servants and to translate the ancient records which he brings back with him um, in advance of him leading out that end time exodus. But while he is, he remains hidden, the servants who he gathers together, begin the work of the gathering out of the strength of the Lord's house, declaring the doctrine of Christ in power and authority, by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, that all those Latter-day Saints and all of those who are members of Restoration Branches, who will receive the doctrine of Christ with gladness, who will enter into the covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, might be gathered out and separated in preparation for the end-time exodus, which Joseph Smith leads. And also notice that we have warrior imagery. So while Christ and while Joseph Smith, in their first ministries, come as lambs. In their second ministries, they come as warriors and lions. And verse 56, go ye straightway unto the land of my vineyard and redeem my vineyard for it is mine. I have bought it with money. Or in other words, Christ has invested his time and his effort and his blood in his people. And his people are those who will covenant with him, those who will hear his voice. So among the Latter-day Saints and among the branches of the Restoration and even among the Christian sects who accept the Book of Mormon and use it, of which there are a few branches, 
those who will enter into the new covenant are gathered out, and they are the strength of the Lord's house. Now, save those only whom I have appointed to tarry. Well, that's because these are translated beings, like the three Nephites and John the Revelator. And translated beings are under the leadership in their mission as part of the 144,000 of John the Revelator. Now, most of those who eventually shoulder that responsibility, that doesn't happen until after Christ comes in his glory. So most of those who eventually become part of the 144,000, you know, will become part of that missionary force after Christ comes in his glory. And, you know, the mainstay of their work will be during the millennial period. But the 99 point something percent of those who are to be gathered out and are to be taught the gospel, um, you know, are under the supervision of the Lord's end time servant of Joseph Smith Jr., as he restores again the terrestrial order of the gospel, the church of Christ starts a new dispensation, the dispensation of the fullness of times where priesthood authority, Melchizedek priesthood authority is again restored. It again is possible for um, men and women to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost and enter into the rest of the Lord. Although by and large, um, the majority of the Latter-day Saints who will be counted among this number and who enter into this covenant uh, don't actually receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, until right before or right after the Exodus begins. And the lion's share of those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and have continued to feast upon the words of Christ and obeyed all the commandments that the Lord has given them in order for them to enter into the rest of the Lord, that won't actually take place until uh, they participate in the end-time exodus where they're able to be personally ministered to by the 144,000 who will help them do what uh, is still required at their hand to part the veil and ascend to the high mountain and receive their calling and election made sure. Verse 57. Therefore get ye straightway unto my land. Break down the walls of mine enemies. Notice the offensive nature of the mission of Joseph and these end-time servants in the strength of the Lord's house. Throw down their tower and scatter their watchmen, which means that the watchmen of the enemy have come into the vineyard, have set up their own watchmen and built their own towers. And I would ask you to inquire of the Lord what that means and who these enemies of the Lord who have broken down the hedge of the Lord, the meaning and understanding of the new covenant and have replaced it with their own hedge and their own tower and their own watchmen. Verse 59. And the servant said unto his Lord, when shall these things be? 
And he said unto his servant, when I will go ye straightway and do all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So Joseph Smith in his first ministry didn't know exactly how things were going to play out. He knew, or I guess he did know how things would play out, but he didn't know necessarily the time frame um, that they would play out on. Joseph Smith was very hopeful that the saints would repent and return during his mortal ministry. Um, In fact, although Joseph Smith had to die and seal his testimony with his blood as a martyr, he didn't have to die when he did. Joseph Smith only died when he did because the saints had exhausted their chances to repent and return. And they would, because of the hardness of their hearts, and they would not repent and return. Um, When Joseph Smith rode back to Carthage, after he was headed out west, finally he realized that it would not be during his first ministry that the saints would repent and return. Finally he realized that the saints would continue to harden their hearts, that he was going to have to seal his testimony with his blood at that time, and that the saints would continue to harden their hearts for four generations and wouldn't again soften their hearts sufficiently until he would return for his second ministry. By that time, he knew, but he didn't know until that moment when he turned around. Verse 61. And this shall be my seal and blessing upon you, a faithful and wise steward in the midst of mine house, a ruler in my kingdom. And his servant went straightway and did all things whatsoever his Lord commanded him. And after many days, all things were fulfilled. Again, verily I say unto you, I will show unto you wisdom in me concerning all the churches, inasmuch as they are willing to be guided in a right and proper way for their salvation. So, the servant went straightway and did all things whatsoever his Lord commanded him. So this is Joseph Smith not only fulfilling his first ministry, and there are many who claim that Joseph Smith was a fallen prophet and that he he did not prove himself true and faithful to the Lord, which is not true. He did prove himself true and faithful. And this has reference to not only was he true and faithful in his first ministry, but that he also would be true and faithful in his second ministry, and that he would return, that he would awaken or rise, he would qualify again to receive the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood, and that he would have it sealed upon him, and that he would begin that dispensation which would usher in Christ coming in the fullness of his glory to the earth. So verse 62. And his servant went straightway and did all things whatsoever his Lord commanded him. And after many days, all things were fulfilled. And again, verily I say unto you, I will show unto you wisdom in me concerning all the churches. 
Well, what are all the churches that the Lord is talking about? Is he talking about the Catholics and the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Mormons? No, no. He's talking about a collection of all those individuals among the Latter-day Saints and among the Restoration branches who enter into the New Covenant and are accounted the strength of the Lord's house. And just because they have entered into the New Covenant doesn't mean that all of them will continue to be true and faithful. There will be some fallout. But to the exact extent that those who enter into the New Covenant are willing to be true and faithful, and abide all the commandments of the Lord that he will give them through revelation and through the end-time servant. They are the churches. It's simply a collection of individuals united by geographic location who enter into the new covenant. They are the churches. And again, verily I say unto you, I will show unto you wisdom in me concerning all the churches, as much as they are willing to be guided in a right and proper way for their salvation, because they weren't the first time, but they have a second chance. 64, that the work of the gathering together of my saints may continue. Well, why does it have to continue? Because it got short, got cut short. Because the saints allowed the hedge of protection to be removed, the enemy came by night and destroyed the vineyard. But Joseph returns to restore the hedge and build again the vineyard. And that's why the gathering together of the Lord's saints must continue because it started, it ended, and then it starts again. That I may build them up unto my name upon holy places. For the time of harvest is come, and my word must needs be fulfilled. Now, the time of harvest didn't arrive during Joseph Smith's first ministry. It arrives during his second ministry, before Christ comes in his glory. Therefore, I must gather together my people according to the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the wheat may be secured in the garners to possess eternal life and be crowned with celestial glory when I shall come in the kingdom of my Father to reward every man according as his work shall be, while the tares shall be bound in bundles, their bands made strong, that they may be burned with unquenchable fire. And so this should give us an idea of the seriousness of the work in which we are engaged. Because those who this second time reject the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit are not actively seeking after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and after they receive it to do what is required to receive the instruction to enter into his rest They don't make it. There is a higher requirement among the Latter-day Saints, among those who have received the, the scriptures of the Restoration, to be able to make it into the millennial rest period than for the rest of the Christian world.
if we go to Ether 4. And we read verses 5 and 6. Ether 4, 5, and 6 are all about a portion of those new scriptures that Joseph Smith brings with him um, when he comes again on the scene. Uh, Even the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon. Now, this is not the only new scripture that he brings forward, but he does bring this forward. Verse 6, for the Lord said unto me, they, the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon, shall not go forth unto the Gentiles until the day that they shall repent of their iniquity and become clean before me. Well, what is this iniquity that the Gentiles or members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have to repent of? Well, we just read all about that iniquity in DNC 101. We rejected the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit. We replaced the new and everlasting covenant with something else. And we have allowed the precepts of men to creep into our culture. And we accept the precepts of men as doctrine when it is given to us and not by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. So we have to awaken, arise, and realize what is true doctrine and what is not. When does a man speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, and when does he not? And we cannot accept as doctrine the words of false prophets, but we must accept as doctrine the words of true prophets, or those who speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. Uh, We must reestablish the hedge of protection. And this is repenting of our iniquity. (laughs) So, not only um, do we have to awake and realize these things, but part of the repentance process is correcting the course, actually entering into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit, receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then doing what is required of us to enter into the rest of the Lord. They are they to whom the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon comes forth, for it contains the celestial doctrine of the Church of the Firstborn, and it only goes forward to members of the Church of the Firstborn, while other scripture that Joseph Smith will bring with him uh, will not only go forth to the Church of the Firstborn, but also to those who have not yet ascended to that level, but who are part of the Church of Christ. And this will include the his translation of the Brass Plates, And we will have for the first time a true record of what happened uh, in the period before the flood, which record is highly corrupted that we currently have in the Old Testament. We'll have the full Joseph Smith translation of the New Testament, which he only barely scratched the surface and made a few notes and a very few additions in what we currently have. He'll bring forth the record of the 12 apostles 
as Nephi talks about um, in his vision of the end from the beginning and other records of scripture, including the record of John the Baptist. Now, in verse 6 in Ether chapter 4, For the Lord said unto me, They shall not go forth unto the Gentiles, or members of the church of Christ, until the day that they shall repent of their iniquity and become clean before the Lord. And in that day that they shall exercise faith in me, saith the Lord, even as the brother of Jared did, or among those who receive the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon, uh, those among that group who exercise faith, even as did the brother of Jared, or who seek after, receive an act on revelation, which will be kindled by the record of the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon, just as Lehi's dream provided the catalyst for Nephi to desire to see and to hear and to know for himself the things which his father saw. And that provided the impetus for him to exercise the faith necessary to see what the brother of Jared saw. So will the things in the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon act as the catalyst for us to be like Nephi and desire to see and to hear and to know for ourselves the vision of the end from the beginning. They shall exercise faith in me, saith the Lord, even as the brother of Jared did, that they may become sanctified in me. Then will I manifest unto them the things which the brother of Jared saw, even to the unfolding unto them of all my revelations, saith Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of the heavens and of the earth and all things that in them are. And again, um, by and large, this is going to take place um, on that end time exodus uh, by those who have already ascended into the church of the firstborn, and then in the city of New Jerusalem, after it is established before the coming of Christ, when these things are declared on the housetops. Now let's go to DNC 103. And in DNC 103, it picks up where DNC 101 leaves off. Verse 12. For after much tribulation, as I have said unto you in a former commandment, cometh the blessing. Behold, this is the blessing which I have promised. After your tribulations and the tribulations of your brethren, your redemption and the redemption of your brethren, even the restoration to the land of Zion to be established no more to be thrown down. So we often take the prophecies that the fullness of the gospel would never be taken again from the earth. We take those prophecies which apply to Joseph Smith's second coming or second ministry, and we try and apply them to his first ministry which they don't apply to. And those who apply those prophecies to his first ministry are in error and have applied them in error. And the Holy Ghost does not witness 
that those prophecies apply to Joseph Smith's first ministry, but to his second. Nevertheless, if they pol- <coughs> nevertheless if they pollute their inheritances, they shall be thrown down. For I will not spare them if they pollute their inheritances. Or, in other words, the Lord is saying, "I'm giving you Latter Day Saints one last chance before my second coming, and there are no more chances." And you either step it up and hearken to all my commandments, or you don't make it. Even if you're accounted among the strength of the Lord's house initially, you have to continue to be true and faithful, or you won't make it. Behold, I say unto you, the redemption of Zion must needs come by power. And again, the only reason that Zion needs to be redeemed is because it fell. Verse 16, therefore I will raise up unto my people a man who shall lead them like as Moses led the children of Israel. For ye are the children of Israel and of the seed of Abraham, and ye must be needs led out of bondage by power and with a stretched out arm. All right, so again, Joseph Smith Jr., the end time servant, comes on the scene after Zion has gone into complete bondage or after those who will hearken unto the voice of true prophets who will enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit who will humble themselves to realize that what they have inherited is not the fullness of the gospel. Now, must be needs led out of bondage by a stretched out arm. So, in the parable of redemption of Zion and its commentary, there is actually imagery from Isaiah that is sprinkled throughout. And one of them is the metaphor of a stretched out arm, who is the Lord's end time servant, who is Joseph Smith Jr. And so, again, that is identifying who this man is like unto Moses that will lead the Lord's people out of bondage. And as your fathers were led at the first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. Therefore, let not your hearts faint. For I say not unto you, as I said unto your fathers, my angel shall go up before you, but not my presence. For the children of Israel qualified for the Lord's angel And so did the Latter-day Saints under Joseph during his first ministry. But they didn't qualify for the presence of the Lord to go up before them. But verse 20, I say unto you, mine angel shall go up before you and also my presence. And in time ye shall possess the goodly land. So this tells us something about the spiritual level of those who qualify to go on this end time exodus that they must not only be at the level of the preparatory gospel um, and qualify for angels, but they also must be at the level of the terrestrial order of the gospel and have entered into the new covenant and be prepared and are receiving the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that Christ might come down among them. Now, not in his glory, 
You know, this is not the second comforter level, but this is the level at which the Nephites qualified when Christ came and visited them in 3 Nephi chapter 11. And remember what happened to all those who were not prepared uh, to receive Christ when he came, um, when he condescended from celestial, terrestrial, and came upon him with only a great level of telestial glory. So the people on the end time exodus will have to qualify at the level that the Nephites were at, who survived the destructions when he came among them, which is more than the preparatory gospel. Because to them, he restored the fullness of his gospel or the terrestrial order of the gospel. And in time, ye shall possess the goodly land. Verse 21, verily, verily, I send to you that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. is the man to whom I liken the servant to whom the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable which I have given unto you. Therefore, let my servant Joseph Smith Jr. say unto the strength of my house, my young men, my middle-aged, gather yourselves together unto the land of Zion, upon the land which I have bought with money that has been consecrated unto me. And let the churches send up wise men with their monies. Remember what money represents, um, an investment of time and effort. Now, in this instance, because the saints rejected the fullness of the gospel back during Joseph Smith's first ministry. They were actually required to buy up lands with physical money. But in the restoration of Zion and in this second ministry, you know, the saints qualifying for angels and Christ, um, this uh, bringing forth of wise men with their money is bringing forth men who have entered into the new covenant and have put upon them the holy garments or the apostolic order of the Mechizek priesthood and have had it sealed upon them. Verse 24, And inasmuch as mine enemies come against you to drive you from my goodly land, which I have consecrated to be the land of Zion, even from your own lands, after these testimonies which have been brought before me against them, ye shall curse them. And whomsoever ye curse, I will curse. Yea, and ye shall avenge me of mine enemies. And my presence shall be with you, even in avenging me of mine enemies unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And I would submit to you now that we, that the fourth generation has passed since the martyrdom of Joseph Smith, that Joseph Smith is now back and that the heavens have again been opened. And Joseph Smith is in fact now translating ancient records and the servants are also back with him and they are actively gathering out the strength of the Lord's house. Verse 27, let no man be afraid to lay down his life for my sake. For whoso layeth down his life for my sake shall find it again. And whoso is not willing to lay down his life for my sake is not my disciple. And so as you enter this night into the new covenant of the broken heart and contrite spirit, 
perhaps for the first time, maybe you have entered into this covenant many times. But as you enter into it this time, I would encourage you to lay everything upon the altar, even your own life, your reputation, your livelihood, even the relationships you have with your family members. Um, because this is what is required of disciples of Jesus Christ. And this is what will be required of all those who enter into that end time exodus, among whom Zion is established, um, with whom meet up with Enoch and the return of his city and the establishment of New Jerusalem in preparation, in final preparation for those end time missions that will culminate in Christ coming in the fullness of his glory. Now, in JST Genesis 9, verses 21 through 23, we have the next part in the story. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant which I made unto thy father Enoch. So in verse 21, the Christ is speaking to Noah about the covenant that me, he made with Noah's great-grandfather Enoch. And it had all to do with the return of Enoch and his city to the earth and the establishment of New Jerusalem directly before Christ would come in his glory. That when men should keep all my commandments... And how is it that men should keep all of God's commandments? Well, we find out in 2 Nephi 32 that after a man or woman has received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then feasts upon the words of Christ, the words of Christ will tell them all things what they should do. To what? To come to the tree and partake of the fruit. And that after the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, as we are feasting upon the words of Christ, we are keeping all of God's commandments. Or in other words, on the end time exodus, as Joseph Smith is leading that exodus, as we enter every day into the new covenant, as we are seeking after and receiving the revelation required to enter into the rest of the Lord, we are fulfilling the prophecy made thousands of years ago to Noah about the return of the city of Enoch to the earth and the establishment of New Jerusalem. And we have the opportunity to be part of the fulfillment of this prophecy. That when men should keep all my commandments, Zion should again come upon the earth. Well, Zion is established at the commencement of the leading of the Exodus. And it includes the entire end time exodus and meeting up with Enoch in the establishment of new Jerusalem. Zion should again come on the earth, the city of Enoch, which I have caught up unto myself. And this is mine everlasting covenant that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth and look upward, then shall Zion look downward and all the heavens shall shake with gladness and the earth shall tremble with joy. And the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven and possess the earth and shall have place until the end come. 
And this is mine everlasting covenant, which I made with thy father Enoch. And so to add a book in, on this portion of tonight's discussion before we open it up to questions, comments, and experiences. We live in a special time in the earth's history. God is gathering his gatherers. Joseph Smith has returned. Conditions are being set up right now that... Not only will the Lord's elect, but all peoples of the whole earth will come into a severe bondage. Those who do not panic, but who wait upon the Lord and trust him and exercise faith and enter into the new covenant of a broken heart and contrite spirit will be gathered out and they will join on an end time exodus. And during this end time exodus, before we meet up with Enoch and the people of his city, uh, missions will commence and we will go forth among the people, just like Alba the Younger and the sons of Mosiah and the great missionary brothers of Nephi and Lehi. The first of these missionary efforts after uh, the strength of the Lord's house has been separated from among the Latter-day Saints will be to the Lamanites and then to all other peoples of the entire earth until, you know, every man, woman, and child has had the opportunity to either accept or reject the new covenant of a broken heart and contr- contrite spirit to come and join the people who have established New Jerusalem and make those final preparations for Christ to come in the fullness of his glory. I testify to you that it is possible to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and to enter into the rest of the Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.